You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, a well-known story. I think the entire Gospels are well-known, but a well-known story here where Jesus calms the storm. Now, I don't know if you've ever been caught in a storm. I mean, caught in the thick of it. It was unexpected. You did not see it coming, and you got caught. One time when I was portaging, we were paddling middle of our second lake, and it started to get dark real quick. And the darkness turned into uh, rolling thunder, and the wind started picking up, and suddenly it started raining, and the rain was going sideways. And then the lightning started, and we thought, we're in the middle of a lake, and you can only paddle so fast. (laughs) What do you do? We were literally caught in a storm. We didn't see it coming. We thought, ah, the storm's not supposed to be till later on tonight. We got tons of time. Well, we did not, and it was not a good scene. Everything was soaked, and we had been just caught unexpected in this storm and we weren't scared ultimately but we're like "Ah, if we're supposed to be struck by lightning this is it we're in the lake it's us but uh, at the end of the day I learned a few lessons is I didn't have any control over that sure I could have controlled leaving earlier or checking the forecast every five minutes I don't know but at the end of the day I was not in control of where the lightning would strike or which way the wind would blow and be helpful or not helpful and The rain soaking all of our stuff. I wasn't in control of any of that. But God was. God was there and God was in control. And he was in charge of every raindrop where it fell. And every lightning strike and every tree that ended up falling down too. He was in charge of each one of those things. And here we see this incredible mixture of the the fullness of the humanity of Jesus. And the fullness of the divinity or the godness of Jesus. We see it all in one story where these disciples and Jesus are caught in a storm. But was it it a surprise to Jesus? Was this storm a surprise to him? Of course not. It was not a, a surprise to Jesus at all. Let me read the passage for us. In Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with, uh, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. It's incredible. Like a short little story, but so packed full of incredible truth. First off, if you keep reading in Mark, as we'll get to next week, is the uh, where they're going to. Okay, this the next story that happens is where Jesus goes, and there's that uh, demon possessed man that is broken all the chains. 
he heals him of the demons, he, he releases him from the demons, and they get back in the boat and they go again. The purpose of this journey was for a quick stop-off to deliver a man from demons and leave him there and go. They didn't camp out, they didn't hang around, they were there, did their work, and left. So, how would they get there if it were not through this storm? How would that man be released of his demons were not Jesus present with him? So Jesus knew not only what would come the next morning, but what would come in the middle of this storm. Incredible, we see this picture of of Jesus and his utter knowledge and his utter dependence, his utter trust in what was happening. And then the disciples, just like you and me, when there's storms in our life, we begin to panic. Things are out of our control, so what do we do? We try grasping at straws. You see this in the story of Jonah too, right? It's very parallel. Uh, Jonah sleeping. When, when there's a storm crashing over, these men think they're going to die. So they go to Jonah. And when it only calms down is when God decides it calms down. On God's terms. Same thing here. But these men who had been fishermen who knew the sea well, who had been in a storm before, but now they're overwhelmed and they are captivated by fear. They're being crushed by their fear and they are out of control. There's nothing they can do. The, the men in Jonah's case began throwing stuff overboard. If we just lighten the ship, we won't be sinking as much. What can we do? Let's just draw straws and see whose God this fault is. Who did we make angry? Right? They tried controlling the situation. They tried controlling the storm. But they had no control over it whatsoever. Same here. The disciples are panicked. Maybe they're starting bail buckets over the edge of the boat. But it wasn't until they went to the master of the storm that it all calmed down. On that day, when evening had come, so they had had a full day of ministry, a full day of preaching and healing and on the seaside there, and then they get into the boat and they begin to go to the other side. He's, verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, and just as he was. And there was other boats, so it wasn't just their boat in the storm. There was other boats along with them, all traveling together. And then verse 37 says, a great windstorm arose it's great it was great not in its seeming to be a good thing but great in its power great in its size so great that it blew the waves so high they were crashing over the edge of the boat it says breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling put yourself in that situation would you ever go boating again it would probably be a very long time before you did. If you had waves crashing in, boats up and down, there's nothing you can do. They didn't have a motor. They can try to get out of the... They, there was nothing they could do but hold on for dear life, pray. Like, it's useless to try to cup out water. It's coming over, and like, the wells... It would, just picture it. It would be terrifying. you think, this is the end. The water's coming in so fast... And the raging storm, if, if the boat happens to go down, there's no way we could swim in this storm. The boat can't handle it, which is designed for water. I'm not designed for water. I'm not a fish. I'm not going to stand the storm. They'd be terrified. This is the end in their minds. This is it. But where was Jesus? Jesus was sleeping. He was sleeping. 
He was sleeping. I have one friend and one friend only who has slept through a hurricane, literally. <laughs> they were in a mobile home, an RV, and the family was, thought they were going to die, and she was sleeping. One friend only. Everybody else, I think, I don't think anybody's ever slept through a hurricane. I know one person. <laughs> Jesus has slept through this wretched storm, but was it just because he was so exhausted from the day that he couldn't wake up? I don't know if you've ever come to that, where you're so wiped that pretty much nothing wakes you up. This points to part of the humanity of Jesus. He needed to sleep. He was tired from the events of the day. He had poured himself out physically, mentally, spiritually, all day long. And now he's resting. But it's incredible because the disciples also were there all day long with Jesus. Maybe not doing the same work and the same pouring out as Jesus, but they were there and they were slugging and they were helping and they were just as busy in their bodies. They would have been tired. But Jesus was the only one with the ability to rest. He was the only one, especially in the middle of a storm, to keep sleeping. Because even, and here's the thing, even as Christians, we can think that, you know, uh, in the middle of a storm, the only way we can sleep is if we trust that everything's as it should be. Everything is as it should be. That's something we often said to doctors and nurses when our kids were in touch-and-go situations, where they said, they're not going to make it today. We said, everything is as, as it should be. So therefore, we're, we're calm in the storm. Everything is as it should be. And that's what Jesus knew. This is all as it's supposed to be. All is going according to plan. I didn't miss this on the radar. I knew this was happening and I have the power over it. If I want it to stop, I can make it stop. But instead he was asleep, showing his utter dependence that that God will control everything the way he wants to control it. The, The father is in charge. There he was, asleep on the cushion. So then they, the disciples, came, it says, verse 38, and they woke him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We are perishing. We are dying. This is the end. We believe it to be so. We are fishermen. We've been on a boat and this is the end. This is what we've experienced. This is the worst. and We're not going to make it. The first part of their phrase to him is interesting. Do you not care? Only Mark records that phrase in the Synoptic Gospels um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the ones that are pretty much similar. They don't record that phrase that Mark uh, does in Do You Not Care? And they also, all three of them, uh, refer to Jesus as different, teacher, Lord, and master uh, in the three different Gospels. But Mark's the one who records really the heart of these disciples. In their lack of faith, They didn't only lack faith that he could do something, but they lacked faith that he cared about them. And, you know, we can look at the disciples now, and we're not in the middle of the storm, and we're not in that boat thinking we're going to die, and we think, how could you say that to Jesus? How could you say that? Like, you've just witnessed him heal thousands of people. Like, he he literally went out of his way to heal people who are sick and, and filthy. You know this man cares. You know he cares for you, and yet, here you accuse him of not caring? We can look at them and say, I, I can't believe you, but we're the same. 
We're the same. There's been times where I'm sure if you would have journaled it, you would, you would have written down, I don't think God cares about me today. I don't think he cares. Do you not care about my financial situation, God? Do you not care about my child? Do you not care about my marriage, which is on the brink of brokenness? Do you not care that I'm losing my job? Do you not care that I want to give up? Do you not care that I'm not sure I want to make it through the day? There's so often our hearts are, are filled with these the same reality, the, the echo of the disciples is, do you even care? God, where are you? In the middle of this storm, in the middle of what I'm going through, are you even present? Do you, do you care about being here? King David reflected this quite often in, in his lament in the Psalms. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Do you care? Or in Psalm 44, verses 23 to 26. Awake to God. Awake. Why are you sleeping? O Lord, rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Well, God, where are you? Why don't you care? It is not a singular example where the disciples say it here. It is resounded through God's people through all of history. And it resounds in our hearts too at times. We may never say that out loud that we don't think God cares. But there will be times where you would feel that in your heart where you know that. But isn't it interesting that we never question if God cares for us when things are going well? We never question that. We, never, we would never ask that question. The disciples would never ask that question if everything's honky-dory, going the way they want it to go, easy. They would never say, do you care? But yet, we know that God's care is consistent, isn't it? God never changes. The way he interacts with his people does. It, it looks differently sometimes, but he never changes. So he cares. He loves. He is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And yet there are times, not when it's good, but when things are hard, where we assume that he doesn't care and we assume he's not near. We never question that when things are going well. We never question his compassion when things are going well. We never question his love when things are going well. And yet... He never changes. These disciples, though, as much as they come to him and they have this moment where they're thinking, like, maybe he doesn't care. But what's interesting in their going to him is they're, they're fishermen. Like, why are they going to a carpenter? Do they think he's going to figure out how to paddle the boat better? Right? If it was just, this is a man who's asleep, he's a lazy bum, we don't think he knows, we don't think he cares, what's wrong with that man? If it was simply they thought, that's just a man who's a fool, and we just want to poke him and say, hey, you're not a good friend. But it was deeper than that. Clearly it was deeper than that. These experienced fishermen would not have gone to a carpenter, and they would have just left them. Right? And tried to figure it out. How are we going to make this boat? How are we going to stay alive? But instead they went. They went to him. Yes, expressing a genuine concern of their hearts. And that's the beauty 
of the Christian life, and we see it in, through all of Scripture, is that we are never told not to express our thoughts or our doubts or our questions to God. He never says, just keep it quiet. If you think I don't care, just, just bury that feeling. Just try to overwhelm it with something else. Like, we are never instructed to do that. Ever. Because we, we see the examples of King David and here the disciples going, expressing the thought of their heart to the Lord and saying, right now, it could appear to us in our lack of understanding, our limited knowledge, our, our, our weak and, and meeble faith, in that, we feel like you don't care. And that happens for us. And, and we ought to feel the ability to be honest before God. Because of Jesus, we can come to the Father as a son or a daughter who says, I don't, I don't know and I don't understand and I don't get this, including I don't get why I feel abandoned right now. I don't get why I feel like you don't care right now. We have the freedom to take this all to God, lay it out before him, because you know why? That is actually an expression of trust. It's an expression of uh, understanding that God does care, that God does hear, that he's going to do something about it. Had these disciples not thought anything of Jesus more than he was a mere carpenter man, they would have left him. But they, even in their weak faith, they were expressing faith as they went to him. Do you not care that we are perishing? They certainly cared. They cared that they were perishing. We all ought to care that we are perishing. Especially if we are perishing without Christ. We all ought to care. But they went, asked him if he cared. And his response is incredible. So he awoke, verse 39. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. It's so amazing to me. Did he have to use words? Of course not. He did not have to do anything. He didn't have to speak a word, but yet he did, because we need to know that the word of Christ has power. He, he spoke the word. And so that, you know, imagine had he just come up and just looked around and then everything calmed down. The disciples would have been like, oh, that's interesting. The storm calmed down. That's great. But instead, he showed them, I'm in authority here. I'm in control here. I'm in uh, the one in power here. He speaks to the sea. Peace be still. Even, th even things we create, we try speaking into them and commanding them to do things and they don't work. We create children, you try be still and your kid won't sit still. You make something, you, 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 know, you make up a, a cake and you say, just be perfect and it overflows from the pan. You can't control anything, even when you've created it. But yet here Jesus, so simply, so easily, to the waves... The waves. Think of how fluid water is. Like you can, it's really hard to control water. And yet Jesus, in a moment, in the blink of an eye, controls it. Peace, be still. The wind, another thing you have no control over. We can try to capture wind with windmills, but you're not trapping it. You're not saying, oh, you can go nowhere else anymore. We don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. We only can guess. But Jesus speaks to it. He says, stop right there. 
It reminds me of when Job was moaning on and on and on about his life. And God comes in Job chapter 38 and he says, Were you there when I set a boundary for the sea? And I said, don't go any further. God says, I tell the wave how far to go. I tell the wave how hard to crash. And isn't that so in our lives? With the storms that we face, the trials that we face, he controls the waves. Every single wave that crashes over you, that that you feel like maybe you're drowning in debt or you're drowning in sorrow or you're drowning in whatever it may be, health concerns, he controls the waves. So then we go to him. Lord, you're in control of this thing and I'm coming to you because you are in control. Will you do something? Guess what? Sometimes he stops the storm and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the storm will... Rage on. Charles Spurgeon says you got to learn to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of salvation. Imagine you're floating in in, in the ocean and there's a, a storm crashing around with you. And this wave is crashing you into the rock of salvation. Eventually, you got to get to that rock of salvation. Well, sometimes it's the waves that take you there. And those waves feel like they're causing you to drown. But kiss the wave. Embrace it. Don't try fighting the wave. Ride the wave to the rock. It's incredible. There's a book called Kiss the Wave by Dave Furman. You should read it. It's about suffering and about embracing the suffering that God brings to us uh, as the means that God is using in our life for whatever end he chooses. Same thing happened here. Jesus used this storm on purpose. There was a great purpose to it. First, for, for us to be able to see his humanity, his, his need of sleep, Second, for the disciples and for us to see his great divinity. He is indeed God over all things, including the wind and the waves. It's incredible that he speaks peace to them. Peace, he says. In John chapter 14, he speaks peace to you and me, to the disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because my peace I give to you. You have seen me, you have known me, you know that you can trust me, and you know that whatever you're going through, there can be a a contentment, a peace, even if the storm never stops. My peace I leave with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. It doesn't say, let not your body be perfect, let not your bank be good and stocked up. Let not your hearts be troubled. In the midst of whatever is going on, my peace I leave with you. And he turns after speaking to creation, after showing his power over creation, he turns to the disciples. There, look in verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Pardon? Jesus, did you just see that? Like, we almost died. I mean, why are we so afraid? That's a really interesting question. Because why wouldn't they be afraid? What's the reasons not to be afraid? Well, he kind of gives us a hint in the very next question he asks them. Have you still no faith? Faith over fear. Faith over fear. Two totally different things. So to be afraid is to to lack the understanding or to lack the trust 
that everything is as it should be. To lack the understanding, to lack the ability to believe that this is okay. Even if everyone else says, that's not okay. Even if your heart wants to say, this is not okay. Faith doesn't just say, oh, forget it. Or pretend it's not there. Pretend that struggle's not real. Pretend the storm's not real. Just close your eyes, plug your ears, and pretend the storm's going away. That's not faith. That's ridiculous. For, for faith healers, they're on the TV all the time. They're, it, they're causing delusions. They're, they're trying to mess with people's brains. Like, oh, well, just it has the appearance of. It's, it's a magic show. It's a demonic magic show. And oftentimes it's just the delusion, the, the assumption. Like, oh, yeah, the pain must be gone. It's just trying to ignore it, trying to distract it. That's not what, what faith is. Faith is acknowledging the pain. Faith is acknowledging the storm, but saying, I trust you anyways. That's faith. She says, why are we so afraid? You didn't need to be afraid in the midst of the storm. You could have trusted God that even though he brought the storm, that he would fulfill his purpose. If that meant die today, it means die today. If it means get to the other side, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that you ignore the storm. It means you believe him for the moment. You believe that he is in charge, that he has brought you to it, and that he'll bring you through it. And that's a a common Christian cliche, right? If he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. We often, like, assume that means he'll bring us through it, like the suffering will end, right? That doesn't want to mean. If you want to take that cliche and make it true, if God brings you to something, he'll bring you through it. And it might mean death, and it might mean continued sickness, and it might mean continued struggle and finances— He's going to bring you through it. It doesn't mean escape it. God will bring you through to exactly the end you should be. And that's his point here. Jesus says, do you trust me? Have you still no faith? Don't you see that I do things differently than you would think of? That that you've seen me heal uh, people who are sick. You have seen me do incredible things so far and still do you not believe that I can do all things? Because they didn't go to him and say, Jesus, make the wind stop. He said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And maybe underneath that would be a, can you do something about it? Well, we know he can. We know he did. But he sees their heart. He says, why are you so afraid? And that question ought to come to our hearts too when we face whatever we face. Whether you have a fear of the future you're, you're worried about the economy. You're worried about um, the virus. You're worried about family. You're worried about whatever it may be. Uh, we ask the question, well, why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid about what's next? Do we not have any faith to know that God's there? And that if he's there, everything's fine? Not everything's fine, like just pretend it's, everything feels okay. But that your heart can be at peace and you can be content. We ask our questions. We should ask this question of ourselves is, why are we so afraid? When there's things we're concerned about, things we're anxious about, things we're worried about. Scripture tells us, do not worry. It's a command. Do not be anxious is a command. Because it, if we are anxious or we are worried, we are not expressing faith. We're not expressing trust in God. So there's 
uh, a difference between have, seeing a genuine concern in our life and then taking it to God and say, I trust you with it. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my struggle. Help me with my human tendency to want to control everything. And when I can't, I'm getting worried. Help me with that. Faith is over fear. Why are you so afraid? He said to them, still you, do you have no faith? And it's incredible because Warren Wearsby, he said, the greatest danger was not the wind and the waves. It was the unbelief in their hearts. Our greatest problem is within us, not around us. End quote. So true. The problems, the greatest problem we have is not outside. It's not the circumstance. It's not what's going on that causes us to worry. It's the worry in our hearts. That's our greatest problem. That's the greatest danger to us. That's the greatest fracturing of our faith. And that's hard, right? Because we know that, that faith uh, needs to be tested and purified as gold under fire, under trial, so that it may come out and show itself to be pure. But that's what God does for us and to us. He brings storms so that our faith may be tested. If all was okay all the time, you would never question even your faith. You'd be like, of course I have faith. Of course I love Jesus. And, and that's the case with us in North America, right? For the most part, we have it pretty easy. For the most part, especially when it comes to our faith and our, and our, our walk with Jesus, we have it really easy. We're never put under the fire. We are never uh, persecuted in that sense. And so it's pretty easy to be a Christian in North America comparatively to Saudi Arabia or Jordan or India it's really easy to be a Christian here. And so, but because we're not tried, you have a lot of people, now it's, it's getting better. The nominal Christian, the people who you just went to church and that were a Sunday Christian only, uh, those are getting less and less because it's just going out of style to go to church. But in countries where you are persecuted for going to church, you know that the people there, they have faith and their faith is being tested day in and day out and that they love him. And that they believe that all that they're going through is for God's great purpose. That he works all things for the good of those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. All things, good, bad, ugly. All things he works for the good of those who love him. For our sanctification, for our becoming more like him. Incredible their response. Verse 41. They were filled with great fear. Great awe. Reverence. They trembled before him like they hadn't before. Why? Why would it be now that they were filled with great awe and fear? They had seen him do incredible things. But it wasn't a test of their faith, was it? They weren't the ones sick needing healing. They weren't the ones in the midst of all of the trials. So they got to walk with Jesus and they got to do life with Jesus and be friends with Jesus. But it wasn't until they experienced a crisis of their faith, a testing of their faith, that they trembled before him. Feared him and said, who is this? Look at him. We've just experienced him in all of his fullness. It wasn't until they themselves had a crisis of faith. They had a testing of their faith where they could then tremble don't run from testing of your faith. It produces hope. It produces worship. A great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is more than a carpenter. 
This is more than a man. He is God and, and he has sustained us. And he has given us hope. And he has shown he cared. He has shown that, that he is the one to deliver. Interestingly enough, it, they still lacked a lot of faith as they went forward. They were delivered from a circumstance, but that didn't deliver their hearts, ultimately. Just like you and me, and just like people all around us, right? When someone gets into a crisis, a, a horrific car crash, they are okay with prayer. You'll have the most atheistic person be okay with prayer at that moment. Why? Because they're in a crisis. They're in the moment, and they may say, oh, yeah, I see what, oh, God, yeah, God was there. And then time goes on, and God's absent until the next crisis. And yeah, thoughts and prayers, please, thoughts and prayers. What's that all about? It's useless if it doesn't internalize, if you don't end up trembling before the Savior and realizing that you cannot do life without him. And that it's not just about, oh, I just need God as my genie in the bottle to like, help alleviate my pain in this moment. Oh, yeah, now I'm in struggle. I need God in this moment. You know how many people live their life like that? They forget God until it gets hard. And then, oh, I need the genie. Where is he? Where is he? All right, I'm good. And then forget God. You see in those people there is a lack of faith utterly, especially a lack of saving faith. They may believe God to be some genie, but they don't believe him to be a savior. And that's what we need. We need Jesus with us always to bring us not through the storms of life only, but to bring us through the greatest darkness we ever face is the, the sin in our own lives, the unbelief in our own hearts. We need him to deliver us, and he will, and he does. Incredible things we learn from this passage is Christ cares in crisis. He does care. He cares in your crisis and in mine. But greater than that, we learn that he controls all things. All things. He's in charge. So when something comes up and, and you start to maybe internalize and, and panic or get anxious or get worried, remember, you don't control all things. He does. And so if it is to change, you can take it to him and say, if you want to change this, you're able. If this is going to serve you best, you're able. So I leave it in your hands and I'm not going to worry about it because you're in charge. It alleviates so much fear and anxiety. John MacArthur wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. And it's all about learning to throw all of your worries, all of your anxieties on him because it's all about trust. Do you trust him to handle the situation? Because he controls all things. And the incredible thing is we also learn from this passage that crisis strengthens our faith. It opens our eyes. It opens our hearts. It causes them to rightly tremble before him. And then we also learn that when you face a storm, you better have Jesus with you. You better have Jesus. There's so many storms in life that people face. And, and you know, if you, if you love the Lord, you know, how can people even face that situation? Well, one day there's coming a situation where the storm of our sin will bubble over. And we will not face that day without him. So we ought to trust in him. Trust in him that he would save us from our sin. And that he would sanctify us through this life of trials and tribulations. And trusting that he, he is all of it in his providential working. Day in and day out, he's in charge. And so we learn to trust him. And it's not going to be perfect. 
In the next trial, in the next storm you face, you're not going to say, oh yeah, I, I'm going to pretend I'm not the disciples and I'm just going to trust them right away. We're human. We fail. Our first inclination is me. Control. In charge. What can I do? But we need to learn as we grow in Christ to, to first inclination to be God. You're in charge here. You saw this coming. You allowed this. You caused this. So I trust you. I, I'm placing myself fully in your hands. And, I, and that's it. We're, we're still here. We still need to make decisions. But the first decision we can make is to have faith. To put it all on him. And to say, help me. It's an incredible lesson we learn when Jesus calms the storm. Not only about, uh, as a, it's kind of as a response to who he is. Fully man, right there with them, with us, can relate. But at the same time, fully God in charge. And response is fear, awe, faith, and wonder. Let's strive for that. Let's pray. Oh God, you are um, infinite in your knowledge. There is nothing you do not know about today, about tomorrow, about 10,000 years from now. You know it all. And not only do you know it, but you're in charge of it all. And because of that, God, we want to lay our disbelief before you. We want to lay our anxieties and our worries at your feet. We want you to um, transform those into moments where we are growing in faith, where we're learning to trust in you more. God, help us to not look only at the world around us, to not think about peace like they think about peace, but instead contentment because we know you're in charge. Thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you for being with us through everything we endure. Thank you for loving us. And may we be those who give you honor and glory as you so rightly deserve. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.